hand. They always have it available. The Bible says, Peter, 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking who, whom he may devour. Who does the lion look for as prey? The lion doesn't go after the strongest buck leading the herd generally. The lion is lazy and fearful. The lion knows that if he gets kicked and a leg is broken, then he dies. He wants the easy prey. He wants the elderly. He wants the weak, the sick. Importantly, he wants the one that separates itself from the herd that has no one else to depend upon, that's alone. That's who the tempter goes after, is the easy prey. We become easy prey when we're spiritually malnourished, right? When we're not coming to church and being fed, we need the Word of God to feed us, to maintain our spiritual strength. When we're not praying, we're not reading the Word of God, when we're not worshiping, we become spiritually weak. We talked earlier about becoming a tree planted by rivers of water. A tree can be deceptive. I remember years ago, a tree near our church in Elkhart, I don't know if it was on the property or just on the adjacent property, but a a massive, beautiful, huge oak tree that I don't know that three men could have joined hands and encompassed the trunk. I don't know. It was huge. And one day we had a windstorm. It wasn't a hurricane. It wasn't a tornado. It wasn't anything. There was no other trees in the neighborhood down. But that massive oak lay smashed on the ground. It was hollowed out with rot and ants, right? Hidden from no one was that tree. We can become that way. We can look good on the outside. But inside we can have rot and decay going on, even as supposed trees or pillars, right? There's a danger. We must always guard this heart. Our pastor is a shepherd, right? We talked about him earlier. A shepherd cares for his flock. A shepherd sees wounds and injuries that sheep don't even know they have. The shepherd has a different perspective. The sheep are all on down four grazing. The shepherd is taller. He can see farther. He can see a cliff on the horizon. He can see wolves in the distance. He can see things that the sheep can't see. Put yourself under the protection of your shepherd, right? Keep under the authority of the man of God. You need someone to minister to you for things that you don't even know, that he may recognize that you don't even know about yourself. He can see danger signs within you. And say, Brother Dave, I notice you're not worshiping like you used to. What's going on, brother? He can minister to me in ways that I'm not even aware of. Stay close to the shepherd. The second way we communicate with God is our worship. The Word of God is God speaking to us. Worship is not about singing beautiful songs. 
but about our telling our Creator how much we love Him, giving Him praise and adoration. Our apostolic fervent worship is a large measure why I'm in church today. Jackie and I came to church in June of 2000. I probably told this story. Some of you have heard it before, but I was thinking about that this morning. You know, some of these things I've talked about before, but how many of you demand whoever cooks in your house to have something absolutely brand new every meal, right? Can you have meatloaf twice a month, right? Um, in season, Jackie and I have BLTs from July 4th to Labor Day probably four or five times, you know, and I don't mind it, you know. So anyway, if you hear something I've said before, chew on it. Eat it. <laughs> this is supposed to be food, right? Anyway, so we came into the church in Elkhart. Just, I, just to say thank you. They prayed for me, and I'm not going to go through my whole testimony. That would take, that would take all afternoon. But, but I saw this old man, a couple rows in front of us. I'm getting closer to his age. He's long past gone now. But worshiping fervently, this old man. Worshiping, worshiping, his hands raised in adoration, crying out to God. And I was fascinated by him. I couldn't tell you what the sermon was that day, but I couldn't take my eyes off that old man. Why is he worshiping? Why isn't he on a back row taking a nap? And it dawned on me that this wasn't a song he was singing. He was telling his creator how much he loved him. His worship made God real to me. I hungered for what that old man had. I spent 45 years with my back turned toward God. I will never let another opportunity to worship him pass me by. Never. Never. If the worship leader decides that Polish polkas are the way that this church should worship God. I will worship no matter what the song is, no matter what they choose, right? It's not about the song. It's not about the lyrics. It's not about the talent of the singers or the keyboardist or the drummer. The apostolic church, I doubt, had any of these things, right? And they worshiped and they praised, right? It didn't require beautiful music or lyrics, right? They worshiped. I worship in the car. I worship in the... I worship. So we have the Word of God, our communication, establishing a deep relationship with it, and we have worship. When Jackie and I are dating, what kind of relationship would we have had if I only sang serenades to her and read her diary. Would we have had any kind of really a relationship with just those two forms of communication? I don't think so. I I don't think so. Those are great. But both of those are monologues. God speaking to me and me speaking to God. For a good, deep relationship, we need a dialogue. And the third way I'd like to talk about is prayer. Prayer has to be a foundational method of our communicating with God. We talk to God. We pour out our hearts, our fears, our weaknesses, our hopes to him. 
And then, very importantly, we spend time listening for him to respond to us. I've heard the voice of God several times in my life. But more often, it will be a thought, an image, an idea that springs forth in response to a prayer. In 2006, a group of us went to St. Louis to the Summons to Sacrifice prayer conference. And it was a powerful, powerful time for us. A thousand people in this hotel gathered together for prayer. They had people walk in the, the hotel, we were told later, go to the desk, and without knowing anything that was going on, ask, what is going on here? We feel a power here. It was, it was amazing. It was tremendous. I, I don't know that. I think it was Sister um, Tenney, T.F. Tenney's wife, I think, that, that was in charge of that conference. And I, don't, I looked online, and I don't, I don't think they're having that conference, but they, hopefully they're having some other conference of a similar nature. But one of the things, you, you went to different workshops. You had different, different sessions that you could go to during the day. And in one of the sessions, I can't remember the topic of the session or anything, but they talked about asking God what you should be praying for. And that was like a, well, I never thought about that, really. Asking God, what, what should I be praying for, God? What should I be praying for? So this was at the very end of July, like July 31st. August 1st was Sunday, and I, and I went home. In my prayer time, my prayer closet, I prayed. God, what should I be praying for? And a vivid image, a vivid image of my brother came before my eyes. I hadn't seen my brother in years. He had left town with law on his tail. He had all sorts of warrants out for him. And I hadn't heard from him. I didn't know where he was. I hadn't seen him in years. But God was telling me I should pray for my brother. So I prayed. I prayed for two weeks before I found release. I I stopped praying on August 15th. At Christmas time, I asked my niece my brother's daughter, if she'd heard from him or if she'd known what was going on with him. And she told me that he was working at a campground in Death Valley. And that there had been a flash flood. In a couple of hours, they got as much rain as they would normally get in a couple of years. And huge raging torrents all from the mountains surrounding came into Death Valley. And washed away a car with a woman and her daughter my brother went into those raging waters and dragged that woman and her daughter out of those raging waters. And that happened on August 15th, the day I was given a release to stop praying for my brother. Prayer is powerful. Listen to God. Ask God questions. Ask him what you should be praying for, who you should be praying Let him lead you. Any conversation that involves one person talking all the time becomes pretty boring pretty quick. You begin to avoid that person. You need to stop in any relationship, human relationship, you need to stop talking and you need to listen. And the same, I believe, is with God. Stop talking so much and listen. Pray for the people around you. Pray for your coworkers. I pray for drivers and cars around me as I drive to work. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've been at a customer site trying to figure out a problem when I prayed for wisdom from God and the answer suddenly came to me. I cannot tell you how many times I've been on the factory floor at a customer's and in the loud noise of the surrounding machinery, I'm worshiping and praising God. In our monthly prayer meeting, which we had last night, I want to focus on listening to the voice of God. I spend too much of my time talking and not enough time listening. In my experience, God never shouts. It's always with a still, small voice that he has spoken to me. It's important to quiet the mind and chase away competing thoughts and to focus upon him. I never have the radio on in the car. I don't prefer to have music with lyrics playing. Sometimes I listen to classical music without lyrics, but my mind is too easily distracted by the words of song to be able to fully concentrate on him. I ministered in the jail for 18 years. I conducted two meetings, church services per week, maybe 50 weeks a year, 100 meetings a year for 18 years, some roughly 1,800 meetings. And I gave the preceding talk surely dozens of times. Establishing a close relationship with God is so important to a new believer, as most of the inmates were. In preparation for this morning's lesson, I spent much time asking God to lead me and the following is a result of that. These are new things I've never, never talked on new revelations to me. First, you must admit that every encounter with God, every communication is supernatural. God is outside the boundaries of the natural world. He is outside of time and the laws of physics. Nothing he does is normal or average or explainable other than super outside and beyond the natural. But the three ways of communicating with God that I've spoken of previously, his word, worship, and prayer, can be equated to our communication with each other, normal, natural communication. But there are also ways that God communicates with us that are outside of any way that we can communicate. He has ways of supernaturally communicating with us. The first way I'd like to talk about is he sends messengers to us. He communicates with us by the way of angels. In the concluding chapter of Hebrews, the author gives us instructions and warnings. There he writes Hebrews 13.2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I powerfully believe that there are angels among us. The Word of God tells us there are. Jackie and I had a powerful experience where I think it likely that we encountered two angels. We had, Jackie and I took our honeymoon up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We just threw a dart at the map. We had never been there before. We just went up there and we found a beautiful, beautiful state park up there that we, we camped in. And then we began going up into that area a couple times a year for maybe 10 years. And one of Jackie's favorite things to do was we'd be driving down the state highway, and there are these little, we call them two tracks, just, just like Jeep trails, you know, leading off who knows where, off the state highway. And this is in just a remote area. The place we camped was 25 miles from the nearest city that was small, three or 4,000 people probably, 
it's a, it's a long way from anything. It's just, it's really a remote area. So anyway, we're, we're driving down the state highway in one of our trips, and we had done this before. So Jackie says, well, I wonder where that goes. So we headed off to the west on this little, little two-track, and I measured it on the way back. We went out 12 miles before we came to a gulch that I don't know that an army tank could have come across. It was a huge washout. And I'm driving a Plymouth Neon, okay? I'm not driving a 4 by 4 I'm driving a Plymouth Neon. All our stuff's back at the campsite. We've got two dogs in the, in the car with us. So we back up, we turn around, and Jackie's reading me Bible trivia from a book she had. And I'm not really paying attention. I've already been down this tra- two-track, I think. So I figure, you know, I don't have to go as slow. So I'm actually going too fast. And I come around this curve. And in front of me are, I don't know, 100 feet, 200 feet, I don't know, I can't remember, of soft sand. It's where the 4 by 4s have just turned up the sand to the consistency of flour. And I've got a split moment to make a decision as to whether I take the, the right rut or the left rut. And I don't know which one I took, but it was the wrong rut. And we got halfway across this sand, and we're stuck. The only thing we got in the car are two Taco Bell cups, big plastic Taco Bell cups. So we get out, we start scooping sand. But sand isn't like snow. Snow, you can dig down and get to a piece of blacktop. Sand, you dig and you get down to China, right? And this is a Plymouth Neon. All we're doing is burying this Plymouth Neon up to the frame by digging out this sand. There's there's no way we're going to get out there by digging. My wife, my prayerful wife, she lifts her hands on the front of the car and says, dear God, get us out of this sand. In just a moment, just a moment, we hear the sound of a motor coming the same direction that we had just come. In a few moments, it was a like a blazer. It was like a 4 by 4 with a closed-in back end. I don't know what the model was, but the guy pulls around this curb. There's two of them in there, and he sees if he wants to proceed down this little two-track, he's got to get me out of the way. So he goes back to the back of the blazer, and he retrieves a shovel, okay? And he comes up, and he starts shoveling. Well, the shovel doesn't do any more than the Taco Bell cups than just burying us quicker. So he motions to the guy that's riding shotgun with him, who comes, walks up to me. He puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, tell your wife her prayer's been answered. Jackie goes, what did he say? He repeats it. Tell your wife her prayer has been answered. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they put a strap on the rear axle of my Plymouth Neon, my hopelessly weak, inappropriate for the situation Plymouth Neon. And they pull the Plymouth Neon backwards out of the sand. And they take the blazer and they run past me. The guy that ran shotgun that talked to me got in my little Plymouth Neon 
just revved up the engine and raced across that sand and got out of it. I am, at this point, again, I measured it, I'm eight miles from the blacktop, a solid two-hour walk to get back to the state highway, which is 25 miles from the nearest tiny little town. We were in real deep stuff. I took my wallet out, and I said, can I give you guys some money for helping us? And the guy that spoke again said, put it in the offering plate. As we walked up to the blazer, written in the glass on the back window was John 3.16, Jesus saved. I believe those men disappeared around the corner. I believe they were angels. How could they know? How could they know any prayer had been given up, let alone that my wife gave up the prayer? I believe they were angels. I believe there are angels around us who answer our prayers, right? That we don't recognize. It seems like a stranger just stopped along the highway and helped you. But I believe the Bible says. God's word says, be forget, not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. His word says it. I believe it. He communicates how many times by angels? How many people did he talk to by angels in the Bible? Coincidence, hallucination, random chance, or God answering a prayer by sending two angels to help us? Which is the most likely explanation? The next way God supernaturally speaks to us is through dreams and visions. Doing a search in the King James Version of your dream and its variations results in 123 matches and 87 verses. And we're getting close to time. I'm not going to... The first instance I saw, Abraham, Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great ward. I'm skipping around. I'm sorry. I know I gave the verses up there, but I don't have time to go through all of them. Jacob, Genesis 28.12. And he dreamed and beheld a ladder set upon the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven to behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Young Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.15, And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. A list of godly and not so godly people. God can speak to anyone through dreams. I pray for God to speak to unbelievers through visions and dreams to reveal himself. I have had both visions and dreams from God. My conversion from atheism, too long to tell, occurred after a vision where I saw my life pass in front of my eyes and a dozen or more times when I should have been hurt and killed and injured and every single time, good luck or coincidence or the hand of God was upon me and protecting me. God showed me that vision. If you flip a quarter a dozen or two dozen times and it comes up heads every single time, 
That's not luck. That's the hand of God. I'm no one special of myself, yet I am a spirit-filled believer. I am no longer merely human. I have the spirit of the almighty God within me. God is looking for vessels. There are no perfect vessels. He is looking for willing vessels. Are you willing and able when he speaks to you? Do you spend time quietly listening for his small, still voice? Do you ask him to speak to you? Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. To give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Love him with all your heart. Seek him with all your heart. And you will find him. I'm almost I'm coming to a close. Acts 1, 8, King James. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the undermost parts of the earth. Earth. Mark 16, verses 17 through 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Acts 2, verses 16 and 17. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in those days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. These are promises to you. You have power. You've been given power by God, power to lay hands, power to heal the sick. And they shall recover, and you shall prophesy, and see visions, and dream dreams. This is for you. Ramp up your faith. Ramp up your prayers and meditations on God. Memorize His Word. Worship Him with all your heart. Believe, believe. Step out in faith. Believing. Let us be known as a church of signs and wonders. Let unbelievers see the power of God through us. He wants to work. He's looking for willing vessels among us. He's not looking for perfect vessels. There are no perfect vessels. You and I step out in faith. Show the willing, the power of God to act. I love you, Mike. Let's praise him, my God. I thank you, my Lord. I thank you, my God, for everything you've done. I love you, my God. Thank you, my God. I love you all. Thank you all. There was something that he said that really struck a chord with me. He said, Lord, how do I pray? What do I pray about? And I think that, that that's something that gets in our ways a lot. 
Because we go to God, and, and we know it's important to pray, but we pray with an agenda, right? Well, I'm supposed to pray for these things. I'm supposed to pray for that things. And we're, we're just checking off this list. But if we just spend time in prayer and say, God, what is it? What is it that you want me to have a burden for? Lord, where do you want to direct me, God? What, what, what do you want to do in my life? When we, when we give him that chance to speak to us, and we just sit back and we wait, and we allow him to minister to us, that's, that's when lives are changed. Right? Some of the best prayer sessions you have aren't when you're up here wailing and you're praying for God over and over again, but it's when you, you spend some time praising and worshiping him and then you just wait on him. And sometimes that's a scary place, right? The waiting, we don't like that. We, like I'm a talker, I like to fill in the empty parts. I, I like to do that. But sometimes we just gotta say, you know what, Lord? I'm gonna be patient and I'm gonna wait on you because I know you've got something great and you're gonna speak something into me today. Thank you for that word, Brother Stokely. I greatly appreciated that. That was an amazing job. Our Sunday school classes will be coming in in just a minute, but why not do something a little bit out of the ordinary? Anybody got a testimony while we're waiting on our kids to come back in here? We don't get this opportunity very often. 